All right, take out your sermon notes, if you will, please. Take out your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1, and verse number 4. Let's recite this verse together. It says, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. What a wonderful verse to realize that you were on our God's mind, as the verse says, before the foundations of the world. Before God ever put creation in motion, before He ever spoke this world into existence, He knew about you. I don't know about you, but that should bring some value to your life. Uh, You know, a lot of times people in our world struggle with self-esteem. Well, I don't know why in the world we should struggle with self-esteem when we realize that God esteemed us valuable enough to think about us before the world was ever created and that also have us in His plan and what He's doing in this world today. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knew who you were before you were ever conceived. God had you on His mind. And that's really hard for a finite mind like we have to comprehend, is it not? Sometimes I struggle comprehending that, to think about a world that does not exist and think about a God who always has and realize that in the midst of that, He thought about me. Wow, that's, that's awesome, is it not? That's what Paul's trying to unpack for us as we think about being a part of the family of God. And this week in our lesson, we have unpacked several different things through the life of Paul, and through his writings in the book of Ephesians chapter number 1, we see that we are adopted into the family of God. Now let me say something here. Now, there's so many different ways I could go with this sermon today. There's so much material uh, that we're studying here at Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I thought I'd preach a message on adoption and how we are adopted into the family of God. But just let me put something, put a preface out here. There's something that takes place before adoption. For you parents that possibly have adopted a child and for those millions of children that have been adopted into a physical family, there's something that took place in that child's life before adoption ever took place. What was that? The child had to be born. Birth had to take place before adoption could follow. The same thing in the family of God. Before we can be adopted into the family of God, we must be reborn. We must be born again. And then when we are reborn, born again into the family of God, then we are adopted into the family of God. And all the wonderful blessings that Christ has for us, we now have because we've been adopted into God's family. And these are the things that we've discussed this week and that we've studied this week and that you have already went through your devotion time and you've unpacked each one of these different six areas. And I'm not going to belabor that and take much time on going over that again. You've already studied that. You may be sitting here and say, well, I didn't study that this week. Well, one of two reasons. Number one, you don't have the literature. Or number one, two, you have the literature and you're not doing your devotion time. So if you do not have the literature, I want you to have it, okay? Matter of fact, um, where is that literature? Linda has that literature. I I want us to put that literature on the table right out here. And as you leave today, matter of fact, is there anyone that just does not have the literature right now? Raise your hand. You may be a guest, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you do not have the literature, we want you to have it. So we're going to hand it to you right now. I think it's that important. We're just going to take time right now to get it in your hands. And you may be just be a guest with us today. I still want you to have it. So raise your hand. It doesn't matter. You can have this literature. It's free. Um... Not, is that all we got left? Hold on, we got more. Okay? We got more. Okay. I want you to have it. It's that important, okay? Because it's going to help you grow in your spiritual life. Now, as we think about being part of the family of God, and that's the thing. Matter of fact, last week, as I tried to study ahead and prepare ahead, I prepared a whole sermon on the family of God and and how we are adopted into the family of God. And about the middle part of the week, I realized, I just felt impressed with the Holy Spirit that that's not what I want you to preach on, I felt like the Lord said. I feel like a lot of times we as believers and we as Christians, a lot of times we really don't understand the spiritual riches that we have as a result of being part 
of the family of God. Matter of fact, a lot of times I think we find ourselves... Do we have more literature? They've got it coming some. We got three more? Yeah. <laughs> Who does not have one here? Raise your hand. We'll get you three. And if you did not get one, you put on it, you take your connection card that you've been given, you write your name on there, and you put on there neat literature, and I promise you, we'll get it to you. If I have to mail it to you or bring it to your house, you may, oh no, I don't want the preacher coming to my house, okay? Um, what'd you say? We got two more? We got two more? Anybody need some? Anybody? Okay, so we got two more. All right, so I'm not going to have to mail it to you. Matter of fact, scared you. You don't want me coming to your house. Everybody put their hands down. Oh, we got plenty of literature right now, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, but let us know. Write on your connection card if you need some, and, and we'll get it to you. Let's go back to thinking about the spiritual riches that we have as a child of God. Now, today we're going to unpack a little bit of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, down through verse number 14. And we're going to talk about the spiritual wealth, the spiritual riches that we have as a result of being part of the family of God. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered a lot of times Christian believers, Christians in general, they're not aware. What is at their disposal as a child of God. Many times we think all there is to the Christian faith is that, well, we escaped hell. Now, that's pretty good in and of itself, and I'd have to agree, that's a pretty good uh, possession to have. But Christianity is so much more than just a fire escape. So much more than just a fire escape. God has blessed us. And many times I think we find ourselves, and it's an old story, I'm sure you've heard before, and it's not original with me, but a lot of times I think we find ourselves like, like the young man that purchased the ticket for a cruise liner, and he scraped up all the money he had and emptied out his savings and everything out of his checking account. And he wanted to get from one destination to another. And he purchased and bought his ticket to get on this cruise liner. And it took everything that he had. And he gave him the ticket. He boarded the cruise liner, got on the cruise liner. And, and it took several days to get from, the de- from where he was to where he was going. And for all those days, you know what he did? He sat out on the... On the, on the bow, out on the balcony of, of the ship, if you will. And he never went inside to his room. He just sat there. Matter of fact, because he had no money, he was completely broke, he spent everything that he had to purchase the ticket, he packed a little lunch. And he put some peanuts in there and, and he put a few sandwiches and a few little items to munch on during this trip. And, but inside there was a... How many has ever been on a cruise? You ever been on a cruise? Oh my goodness, it's amazing the food that is out there 24-7 for you to eat. But what is on the cruise are all these buffets, fine dining, a grilled burger shack if you want it, pizza in one corner, prime rib in another, I mean salads and desserts and you name it, it's there. Some things that we ate on our cruise that we went, that you purchased for my wife and I when we went on the Alaskan Passageway several years ago, we ate stuff that I never knew existed. We ate stuff that I knew existed, but I never saw it in that form before. What was that one thing we ate? Escargot. You ever ate any of that stuff? You ever seen it? I've seen it around the house. Hello? What we used to do when we saw them around the house, and we used to get salt and pour on them, and they'd curl up and wither up and die. Nasty things. One of the hors d'oeuvres they brought to the table was escargot. I knew I'd heard that word before. You know where I heard it? It was on Andy Griffith's show, or Mayberry, Barney had talked a little bit, and it really didn't, re- what is this? I, I don't know, let's try it. And So then we ate a couple, and then someone told us, you know what that is? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Cannot believe it. Mass supply food on this cruise liner. But this little guy sitting out there eating his little peanuts out of his little brown sack and his little withered sandwich. And how many's ever packed a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch? How many of you know the longer it sits there, the soggier the whole thing gets? You understand that? 
And then you reach in there to pull it out and everything's worked from the inside of the sandwich to the outside of the sandwich. It's all over the back. I mean, it gets kind of disgusting after a while. He's picking it out and he's eating it and he's sitting outside the ship. Finally, the last day, someone stops by and says, why are you sitting out here the whole time? Why haven't you gone to your room? Why are you not eating at these wonderful buffet bars? Why are you not taking advantage of all that you have? And he said, sir, you don't understand. I don't have the money to go in and get a room. I don't have the money to eat off the buffet. It took every dime I had to purchase my ticket. And the guy looked at him and said, but that ticket grants you the right to have a room. And that ticket grants you the right to eat in the fine dining halls. And that ticket grants you the right to eat at all the buffets. He said, I never knew. You see, the guy was wealthy in that sense of the word for that whole trip, but he lived like a pauper. I think that could be said for many of us in our Christian life. Simply because we haven't taken time to unpack the theological blessings that we truly have as a child of God. Listen, you are wealthy. You're wealthy. How many of you have ever heard, and this is going to be a ridiculous question, how many of you have ever heard about the game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I mean, you've seen that show, right? Uh, Regis Philman, I guess, made it popular back in 1999. Matter of fact, ABC first aired it on August the 16th of 1999. Matter of fact, they did some reviews on that and found out that very first season, they had 29 million viewers that tuned in to watch the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And answer all the right questions. And of course, they could win a million dollars and all the confetti would fall and they would get that. Now that show is in 45 different versions, airing in 71 different countries, including Russia and India and Japan. Why is this so popular? Well, let me ask the question. Who does not want to be a millionaire? Raise your hand. No takers? No, we would all want to be millionaires. Let me ask you a question. What would you do with a million dollars? What would you do with it? Somebody shout out some answers. What would you do with your million dollars? Build a church. Build a church. Amen. <laughs> Go to Appalachia. Buy a Hummer. That's, that comes from Daniel. Buy a Hummer. Pay off your house. Maybe pay down some school debt. School tuitions. I don't know. All kind of different things. Take a vacation. Hello? I mean, so many things that we would do with a million dollars. I'm here to tell you today that you are far wealthier than just a million dollars when you are in Christ Jesus. And that's the message that Paul is trying to unpack for us in Ephesians chapter number 1. Now this great letter starts out the way that all the letters used to start out years, centuries ago, especially in that first century era. And they always started out with a blessing. Thank you, bless you, God bless you. And they always introduced who was writing the letter at the beginning of the letter, which I think is a wonderful practice. And I don't understand why in our culture today that we have reversed that. We'll write a letter today and we'll start dear so-and-so and we'll write the letter and then we'll get all the way to the end of the letter and then we'll sign our name. Now, let me ask you a question. If you receive a letter from someone and say it's just in an envelope, it's not marked or you don't have a clue where it's from and it's a four or five page letter and they do not sign the letter until the end of the four or five pages, what's the very first thing that you're going to do? You want to find out before you read what's in the letter, you want to find out who wrote the letter. Well, I think that's the appropriate way of writing a letter. Paul did it right, I believe. And Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ and the saints and believers in Christ Jesus, grace and peace from our God to you. I want to pick up in verse 3, down through verse number 14. Look what he says. Now, he's writing to the believers at Ephesus. And he's, he's writing to them that have been saved out of pagan worship of the, of the sex goddess Diana where they had given their worship in the pagan world by laying with the, uh, with, the, with the prostitutes at the temple of Diana. 
They've been delivered out of that. They're now in Christ Jesus. They've accepted Christ as their Savior. And he's writing a letter to these believers. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us within the beloved. Verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he, get this next word, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us he made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that, that He planned in Him for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. In Him we were also made His inheritance, predestined according to the purpose of the One who works out everything in agreement with the decision of His will. Verse 12, so that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in Him, when you believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession. To the praise of His glory. Let us pray and then I want to try to share with you some of the wonderful spiritual blessings that we have as being part of the family of God. Father, we thank You for this day and we thank You, Lord, for the privilege to assemble together and to worship in spirit and in truth today. And God, I believe I could leave here right now and say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank You for the moving of the Holy Spirit through the song today. Thank you for speaking to hearts and thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart. And God, I pray now that you would help us, God, not just play church. God, I pray that right now we would take what we're about to study together very seriously. I pray that we would put aside all the other activities that are going to take place today in our own personal lives. Help us to put those out of our mind for a short moment. God, help us to focus on you. Lord, I pray you'd help us to realize the wonderful blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse number three is is a very key verse in this passage of Scripture. I want you to look what it says. Look in your Bibles. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with... If you mark in your Bibles, if you're underlining anything, I want you to underline every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Underline every spiritual blessing has been given to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now here for the next few moments, I want to try to unpack a few of the spiritual blessings that Paul makes mention of here in the following verses. Now there's many different things he talks about that I'm not going to have time to expound on. I mean, this book is so rich. There is so much doctrine. There's so much theology. There is so many wonderful things in the Christian life that is unpacked in this verse that we just can't, uh, we can't touch it all in one worship service. But today I want to try to share with you about five or so different spiritual blessings, different spiritual possessions that we have when we are in Christ Jesus. Number one, I want you to jot this down. Spiritual possession, number one, that you have been given, you have been been redeemed. You have been redeemed. Redemption has taken place. Now, there's something I want you to look at. Look in verse number seven. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7. It says, in him we have, here's the word, redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins. We have been redeemed. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, in the New Testament, there are three different Greek words that are used to translate the word that's translated redeemed or redemption. The first Greek word just simply means to purchase. Now, in Paul's day, slavery was the common market. So the Greek word that simply means to purchase would be like you would go down to the market and you would purchase a slave. You would purchase someone to work for you. That's one interpretation of the word redemption. Another Greek word that is translated redemption in the New Testament is a word that just simply means to purchase and to bring out. To purchase and to bring out. In other words, you would go down to the slave market and there you would pay a high price for a particular slave and you would then bring them out of the market. Now I want you to know that neither one of those two words are what's used here. There's a third Greek word that's used that's translated redemption. And it's the Greek word lutrao, which just simply means to purchase and set free. And you know what would take place? The slave owner would go down to the slave market and there he would purchase a slave. And he would bring that slave now out of the market And then he would take that slave out of the market. They're off the auction block. They can no longer be purchased by anyone else. And this slave owner that purchased this slave would now set this slave free. Now the slave would then look at the slave owner and say, I don't understand. I'm a slave. All I know to do is to work for someone I've been purchased over and over and over again and I've been put back into the market and I've been bought out to go work and be in bondage of someone else and be a slave. But the slave owner would look and say, listen, I have redeemed you. I have purchased you and I've taken you out of the market and now I have set you free. 99% of the time, you know what that slave would then turn around and do? That slave would then look to that slave owner and say, listen, I don't want to be set free. I want to serve you because you have set me free. I never have to go back into the slave market again. Therefore, I want to serve you freely. I want to serve you the rest of my days. You know what they would do with that slave then? They would then take that slave and they would put an earring in its ear, in his ear. And what that would symbolize is that he has been purchased out of the market. He can never be put back into the market. He has been purchased and set free. And he's chosen now to serve his slave master for the rest of his days. There's a word that's used many times in the New Testament that exemplifies what I've just defined to you. And Paul used it many times referring to himself when he said that he was a bond slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that simply meant is that Christ Jesus had redeemed him and brought him out of the market of sin and set him free. And Paul chose to live for that master the rest of his days. Guys, do you realize one of the spiritual possessions that we have as a child of God? We have been purchased with a price. And that price is the death of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That price is the shedding of His blood on the cross. We have been purchased. We have been brought, bought out of the slave market. We're no longer in bondage to sin. But something else wonderful has taken place. We have now been set free. You see, Jesus purchased us. We have been redeemed. We have been bought. And we have been set free. I don't know about you, but that does a little bit something for me. Because I remember the kind of guy I was before I was purchased. I remember the kind of guy I was before Jesus said, I love you and I'll save you and I'll redeem you and I'll bring you out of that lifestyle and I'll set you free in a whole new way of living. It did something miraculous in my life. It completely changed my life. And one of the great spiritual possessions that we have is that we have experienced that redemption. We have been redeemed. The second spiritual blessing we see is that we've been forgiven. Not only have we been redeemed, but in the very same verse, we've been forgiven. Look what he says in Ephesians 1 and verse number 7. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness 
of our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Guys, do you realize that that verse alone, the fact that we have been forgiven, it presupposes something? What is that something that it presupposes? That we're guilty, that we're sinful, and we have been forgiven. There was a nun that was once asked her students, and she was teaching her class one day, and she said, what do we have to do before God forgives us? The students were scratching their head, and they were having a hard time coming up with an answer. What do we have to do before God forgives us? Church, what do you have to do before God forgives you? One of the little kids raised their hand and said, I've got the answer, I've got the answer. And the nun looked at her and said, what's the answer? And she says, we must sin. (laughs) Guys, that's the right answer. Before we can be forgiven, we must be a sinful person. Hello? We must have something to be forgiven of. We must be guilty. Matter of fact, in this verse, there's some good news, bad news taking place. Let me share with you the bad news before I share with you the good news. The bad news is that we're guilty. The bad news is that we're sinful. The bad news is that we do not deserve a parking ticket. The bad news is that we do not deserve a slap on the hand. The bad news is that we do not deserve to be grounded. The bad news is that we do deserve death because of our sin. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages, and you know this verse, for the wages of sin is, finish it for me, death. The wages, the penalty of our sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's the bad news. The bad news is we are guilty. We are sinful. What's the good news? The good news is that Christ Jesus took our blame. Christ Jesus took our guilt. Christ Jesus took our sin upon Himself there on the old rugged cross. And now because of what Jesus did for us, we stand in a right communion and right fellowship and right relationship with God Almighty. Why? Because we have been forgiven. Now notice that the forgiveness that we have... It's not in our church membership. The forgiveness that we have, it's not in our good works. The forgiveness that we have, it's not in our baptism. The forgiveness that we have, it's not in paying our tithe. The forgiveness that we have, it's not because I pray daily. It's not because I have devotion time. The forgiveness that we have, it's not because I come and I'm part of the setup team. The forgiveness that we have, it's not because I come on Sunday morning and try to relieve a little bit of the guilt of the lifestyle that I live all week long and do my little church duty thing. The forgiveness that I have is because and it's in the person of Jesus Christ. In Him and in Him alone. And guys, if you're not in the family of God, if you haven't been born again, If you haven't been born again, you've never been adopted. And if you haven't been adopted into the family of God, it just goes to say you haven't been born again. If you haven't been born again, then you have not a clue about the forgiveness of God Almighty on your life. You're still living in your trespasses and sins. All of these wonderful spiritual blessings that we have, we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Now guys, you're getting a heavy dose of theology today. Hello? I hope it's not too deep for you, but you're getting straight Bible doctrine this morning. Matter of fact, I was in a business meeting one time, and, and we were talking about doctrine. and Somebody stood up and said, we don't need doctrine. All we need to do is just worship. I thought I need to stand up after that comment and say a word or two. So I stood up and I said, listen, you can go out on a hillside all day long and worship, 
But if you don't know the doctrine of the Word of God, you, you'll just be worshiping trees and you'll be worshiping... Bill- On the hillside outside our church, there was a, a lot of billy goats and things. And I, I made ref- You're worshiping the billy goats that are out there if you don't know the doctrine of the Word of God. Listen, we've got to have doctrine. I mean, that's everything we believe in. That's what we base our salvation on. We have been forgiven. Brother Daniel last week made reference to John Bunyan's classic book, Pilgrim's Progress. Have any of you guys ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Hold your hand up if you've ever read it. It's a great, great, great classic traditional Christian book that if you haven't read, you need to get it. Now, they do have it in Cliff Notes. The very first time I read it, it was the full thing, man. And it's written in the 16th century language and a little bit hard, maybe it's sometimes comprehend. And I read it that time and oh, wow, what a book. Do you realize though that John Bunyan, as he was writing that book, he was held in captivity in prison for his faith. And every single day, because he would not renounce Christ, they would bring him his food and his milk bottles and he would take the cork of the milk bottle and he would write, you know what he was writing? Pilgrim's Progress on those cork bottles. And then after his release and after they, everything was over, they took all those cork bottles and they put them together in a, in, in a or those, those cork bottle, you know what I'm talking about, corks, <laughs> the stoppers, that's what I was looking for. And they, they put them all together and they wrote this wonderful book, put it all together for us. Let me read you a little bit about this wonderful illustration of forgiveness that Christian, which is the main character, He's trying to flee from the city of destruction and he's trying to find relief for this great burden that he has on his back. And he's really unpacking for us the doctrine of Ephesians chapter 1 about the forgiveness of sin. Let me read to you an excerpt out of that book. It says that he ran, he being Christian, he ran till he came at a place somewhat ascending. And upon that place stood a cross. And a little below, in the bottom, a sepulcher. So just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosened from off his shoulders and fell back off of his back and began to tumble. And so continued to do until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and I saw it no more. And Then was Christian glad and lotsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow. He has given me life by his death. And then he stood still a while longer and took a look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked therefore and looked again, even till the springs that were in his head sent the water down his cheeks. Then Christian gave three leaps of joy and went on singing. You may say, what does all that mean? It means he experienced forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And guys, what we have in Christ Jesus is the forgiveness of our sins. Gone, gone, gone. The burdens of my soul have been rolled away. Gone. And guys, I don't know about you. But that makes us pretty wealthy. Whenever we realize we can live this life free of our sin and the penalty of sin and free of that penalty of sin being death, knowing that we've been forgiven. There's a third spiritual possession. I've got to hurry through these rest of these because I want to get to the application side of it. A third possession that we have is that we've been given the riches of His grace. Now look what he says in Ephesians 1 verse 7 through 8. It says, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Get this next phrase, according to the riches of His grace. Now there's some interesting wording there. The Bible says that we have according to the riches of His grace that He's lavished on us with wisdom and understanding. Now notice the wording, according to. Now God could have easily given us some riches of His grace out of His riches. But He gave us this grace. It's a Greek word, charis, which means gifts. He's given us all these wonderful gifts according to the riches 
of his grace. Now, back in the 30s, millionaire John D. Rockefeller, he used to love to dress up in a suit. He'd put his top hat on. He'd go out into the street, and he was everybody knew he was a millionaire. And he'd love to get all the little boys that ran up to him, and he would give all the little boys that ran up, ran up to him a dime. Now, this is in the 30s. You may say, he just gave them a dime? Well, equivalent to our day, it'd be like giving every little boy that came up $10. Now, I got a question to you. If I dress up, or if John D. Rockefeller would dress up and give everybody a dime, every little boy a dime, by, by the way, he liked to get his picture taken to him. When he gave a little boy a dime, he had a photographer there that would take the picture of himself giving this little boy a dime. True story, 1930s. little vain, if you ask me. Still a true story nonetheless. But I want to ask you a question. Did John D. Rockefeller give out of his riches or did he give according to his riches? He gave out of. He gave a little boy that come to him a dime. Multimillionaire gave him a dime, equivalent to maybe $10 in our day. Now, if a little boy came up to John D. Rockefeller and Rockefeller said, Son, I'm going to buy you a mansion out in the country. I'm going to give you about 150 acres of land. And I'm going to have nice stallions and horses running all over that land. Beautiful fenced-in property. And I'm going to give you a nice... What was the nicest automobile they had in the 1930s? I'm going to give you a, a T-Model Ford, huh? Whatever it is. I'm going to give you a nice 1935... Was it T-Model or A-Model, Sonny? Was it A or T? Anybody know? My dad had one. It was a 32 Ford, and we got in the front of that thing and cranked it up. It was a little show car that he had, and I can't remember if it's an A or a T model. Anyway, I'm going to give you one of these cars, and you can drive it around. And, and by the way, I'm going to go ahead and give you a, a good little bank account. I'm going to stick about $150,000 out in that bank account for you. And just kind of, Now, question. Would he then be giving out of his riches or according to his riches? Talk to me. According. Yeah. I mean, he's a millionaire and that's kind of according to his lifestyle and he's going to give it to that boy. Guys, do you realize the grace, the gifts, the wonderful, wonderful possessions that we have as a child of God? We have been giving, given as according to the riches of our God. Now, there's something you need to know about our God. Our God owns it all. Everything that you see belongs to him. You may say, no, 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 that, that house that I have, that's mine. No, it isn't. Matter of fact, I heard uh, Jonathan Falwell preach this morning, and he said, he said, when you die, that house is going to be somebody else's, and they're going to enjoy that. And, and, and then the car, that, no, 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 no. When you die, that car is going to somebody else. Well, all that money I have in my bank account, no, no, no. When you die, that money is going to somebody else. Matter of fact, God owns it all. He owns everything. He is infinitely wealthy and he's given us gifts according to his riches i put in my little letter to you this week in our little connection trifle this past week all eyes have been up in dc and ears wanting to see what the senate what the house and what the what they would all do with this 700 billion dollar bailout that initially got voted down. I guess they decided they were against it before they decided they were for it. <laughs> that initially got voted down. Well, on the day after that initially got voted down, the stock market took the largest plunge downward that had taken place since 9-11. People are frantically drawing out money pulling their money out of the markets, reacting in fear. Guys, may I remind you that the source of all of your provision is not in the Dow Jones. May I remind you that the source of all of your blessings and everything that you enjoy today is not in your job. Hello? I'm talking about the source. It's not in your job. If you get laid off tomorrow, it shouldn't make you worry and fret. Hello? If you lose
lose everything in the stock market. Yeah, it may be painful, but it shouldn't make you worry and fret. Why? Because our God has promised that He would supply your needs according to His riches in glory. And if He is infinitely wealthy, and if He owns it all, then He knows what I need to get by on a daily basis. And He will supply that for me because all of His promises, the Word of God says, are yea or yes in Christ Jesus. This past week when I watched everything going on in our world and I saw the stock market crashing like it was and going down and all eyes and ears there and people frantically worrying and people worrying about their paychecks and people worrying about this. Now, I understand there's a little bit of worry there, but I, why? And I'm, I'm being serious. You may say, well, you're just not a realist. No, I understand what's going on. But you see, I decided a long time ago that I'm living for Him. And I took my hands off the wheel years ago. And I said, God, whether I have it or whether I don't, it doesn't matter to me. If you bless me with it, praise the Lord. If, I, if it goes away, praise the Lord. Because my life is not consumed or it's not made about. And I don't identify my life according to the stuff that I have. Hello? I'm living for Him. And I've told my family. I said, you know what? If something happens... And we, we've taken huge steps of faith over our lifetime together as a family. Huge steps of faith. And I tell them, listen, if we lose it all and we have to live in a tent somewhere, that's okay. As long as we're together. huh? Our, God's, our God is going to meet our needs. Are you there? You should be. Because all that wealth I'm talking about, is at your access, it's at your disposal. He's given it to us. I don't have time to unpack these other two. Let me give them to you real quickly. You've been given or you've been shown the mystery of His will. Boy, that's a good one in verses 9 and 10. I'm going to have to go on. Verses 9 and 10, you've been shown the mystery of His will. Not only have you been redeemed, not only are you forgiven, not only do you enjoy the riches of our God's grace, but you have been shown the mystery of His will. He made known to us the mystery of His will. Man, that's awesome. You see, God has a plan for you, universe. Jeremiah 29, 11, God told Israel, I know the plans I have for you. God has a plan. Nothing that's going on in our world today has called our God off guard. He doesn't say, oops. He never says, uh-oh. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. That's never in his vocabulary. He knows what's taking place with our election process. He knows what's going on with our Dow Jones. He knows everything that's in our life. And, and he's, I think he's working out his plan. You see, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Not in the rulership or dictatorship or kingship or whatever of a man. I believe in the sovereignty of God. Amen? And he's made known to us the mystery of his will. You see, history is moving toward a goal. And you know who set that goal? God. Everything's unfolding the way that He sees fit for things to unfold. Now, I realize we've got free will, and I realize we make some choices that, that may alter that, but it doesn't alter the, the ultimate outcome of it all. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. You see, that wasn't always the case that everyone knew the mystery of His will. In the Old Testament days, God would speak to prophets. And he would share with them, but he didn't tell them the full story. They knew that a promised seed would come, but they didn't know it would be Jesus. They knew some things would happen, but they didn't know exactly how it would happen. You see, we live on this side of, of Calvary. We live on this side of the promised seed coming. We've been revealed to us. God has revealed to us the mystery of His will. We know the beginning back in the Old Testament. We know the middle when Jesus came. And we know the end. He shared with us everything there is to know about His plan. And I think that's pretty awesome. I'd like to unpack that more, but I can't. And number five, you've been guaranteed an inheritance. And that's verses 11 down through verse number 14. In Him, we were also made His inheritance, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of His will. Boy, predestination. I'd like to take about 25 or 30 minutes or so and just kind of share with you a little bit about predestination and election. Time's not going to permit me to do that, but I will say this. 
Here's something you need to know about predestination or election. Try to explain it and you may lose your mind. Try to explain it away and you may just lose your soul. So be careful. You see, the difficulty with election and predestination, I don't understand it all. Now, I have a view. and There's a side of theology I stand with, but I cannot be dogmatic and say that one is right and one is wrong. I don't know. Hello? You see, sometimes I think we need to dive more into panology. What is panology? Panology is you get your life right with Christ and everything will pan out. Hello? You need to worry about what you can do right now. Accept Christ as your Savior and the rest of it will pan out. So what about this election and predestination and all? God knows. And the reason we have a hard time with that is because we like to use things that are predetermined. We like to use a, we like to use finite words and language. Hello? Something we can grasp. Something that makes sense. And I always look to Terry whenever I think about this. And the reason I do is because she's a math whiz. There's a formula for everything, right? Everything, you line up the X's and the O's and the pluses and the minus, divide it by this and multiply by this, and there's more language that I don't even know in the math world. And it all works out. You see, we want to bring those formulas into the doctrine of election and predestination. I'm here to tell you, church, if you try to explain it, you may lose your mind. And you try to explain it away, and you just may lose your soul. You see, heaven's going to be a wonderful place of learning. And there we will learn and we'll get understanding. But we've been guaranteed an inheritance. I want you to look at 13 and 14. It says that we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You don't then have to come again and keep praying for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. You got all the Holy Spirit the moment you got saved that you're going to get. He comes to you all in a whole. Now, the problem is the Holy Spirit may not have all of you, but you've got all the Holy Spirit. Hello? I've seen people kind of go up to altars and things and try to pray through and somebody say, hang on, brother. Somebody say, turn loose, brother. Somebody say, pray through. Somebody say, you've got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. That's the seal. Start focusing on does the Holy Spirit have all of you. That's the problem. Hello? But we've been guaranteed this inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of these wonderful possessions that we have, and I probably should have broken that into a five-part series. But you may say, and I'm closing with this thought. You may say, if I'm that wealthy, why don't I feel good? If I'm that wealthy, why don't I feel like it? Well, let me ask you a question. Do all, are all wealthy people happy? In the world, just rich monetarily. Are all wealthy people happy? Do they all feel good? Are all wealthy people in the world today, all of them, are they all enjoying their wealth? Not all. Some are. Not all. What's the difference? Why can you take somebody that is wealthy and someone that's enjoying their life and someone that's wealthy and they're not enjoying their life? You take two wealthy people. One's enjoying it, one isn't. Well, the same thing would be applied to a Christian. you got one Christian that is infinitely and eternally wealthy, but doesn't feel wealthy, not really enjoying it. And another Christian that has the same infinite wealth and eternal value and wealth, but that's enjoying it. What's the difference? There's a key phrase. You need to get a hold of this concept and get a hold of this doctrine. You know what makes the difference? Whether you hoard it or whether you give it away. And that's what you need to write in. You enjoy your possessions in Christ by giving them away. <laughs> that just doesn't make sense, does it? But if we are going to enjoy the wonderful possessions that God has given us in Christ Jesus, the only way, Brother Darrell, to enjoy those is to give them away. 
What's the scripture say? It's more blessed. And the word blessed is a double positive, which in the Greek, when you have a double positive, it puts a lot of emphasis on it. It means happy, happy indeed. Blessed, happy, happy indeed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The individual that's giving away his, his wealth and his possessions is the happiest person in the world. And by the way, God never called you to hoard up your possessions, whether it be money or the spiritual wealth that we have. The best way to live is with your hands wide open and give it away. Hands wide open and give it away. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road, and this is what I want you to get. Don't miss it. Look, if you will, in your notes. I put five different disclaimers there on how you can enjoy the wealth that I've been talking about. If you want to enjoy the riches of your redemption in Christ, you'll enjoy those when you see the tears of joy falling from the eyes of someone who just experienced redemption through his blood, thanks to you. In other words, you ever led someone to Christ? You see, you probably never really enjoy your your salvation until you've been the person responsible for leading someone to Christ. Have you enjoyed? Are you enjoying your redemption? You won't until you get involved in evangelism. You just won't. You won't. It'll mean nothing to you until you give it away, until you're the one responsible for someone else's salvation. Number two, you'll enjoy the forgiveness of your sins as you forgive those who sin against you. Wow. You see, there's going to be people that will wrong you. There's going to be things that will take place in your life that's just not right. And a lot of times we won't be quick to judge. And quick to bring a judgment. Well, because they did that, they're going to get this. No, 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 no. You see, if that's the case, you're probably not really enjoying your forgiveness. Hello? Am I talking to anybody? Does anybody understand what I'm saying today? Am I the only one getting this? Has someone wronged you? Has someone wronged you? Someone wronged you? Have you wronged someone? I'll tell you, one person we've all wronged, that's Christ, that's God. But He's forgiven us. And if I really want to enjoy the wealth of forgiveness that I have, I'm going to give it away. And I'm going to forgive those who wrong me. Wow. Third, you'll enjoy the riches of His grace that He lavished on you with all wisdom and understanding as you lavish God's love and grace on others. Do you love people? I know that can be difficult sometimes. But do you love people? Are you gracious towards people? You'll enjoy knowing the mystery of His will as you help others discover God's will for their lives. God has a plan. One of the greatest joys of my ministry is to sit down with someone and help them discern God's will for their life and then see a light bulb kick on it. Man, they found it. That brings great pleasure when you're able to assist someone in finding God's will. And then number five, and you'll enjoy your inheritance of all God's promises and all of God's wealth and all of God's goodness as you live your life to the praise of His glory. You see, all the wealth that we have probably doesn't mean anything to you if you're not giving it away. And so what are we going to do with all the wonderful spiritual blessings and possessions that we have? And I know I've been a little bit long this morning. There's something in me that wants to say, forgive me, but I'm I'm not going to ask for forgiveness here. Well, I've given you a heavy dose of doctrine today. And I hope you understand the wonderful possessions that you have in Jesus Christ. But they mean nothing to you. Nothing. You may never get excited about any of those. Probably the reason is you're hoarding them up. Life is all about you. My family. Me. You're living life like this. You're holding on to everything you can hold on to. You're living in fear. You are absolutely scared to death or turn loose of anything, whether it be your children, 
your grandchildren, your job, your house, your car, your marriage, your relationships. You're holding on to it so tight. You're living in fear. No wonder you're miserable. God doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to live like this. Hands wide open. Arms wide open. Looking up, saying, God, thank you for what you blessed me with. I pray that I'd use those to be a blessing to someone else. And realize that you own it all. I just want to be a good steward of what you put in my possession. And I want to help other people find their way to the cross. I want to help other people find out about your riches. I want to help other people find out about your will. I want to help others find out about the great inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. So God, I'm living like this. Just work through me. Then you'll get to experience the joy of the Lord. I wonder this morning, let's all stand if you will, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I know those chairs get hard. Now let's just try to get real serious here for about two or three minutes and then we're going to be done. What does all this mean? Well, these spiritual riches that I've talked about mean nothing to you if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So may I ask you this morning as all heads are bowed and every eye closed and no one's going to be looking around, our deacons and their wives are in place at the side and at the back and for you to go to and pray with First of all, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, that's where it begins. I want to encourage you to step out of your seat right now and go back to one of these family members and, and talk to them. Just share with them that you'd like to accept Christ as your personal Savior. and They'll pray with you and they'll help you. And you can make that decision today and begin enjoying the wonderful blessings that Jesus gives. Maybe you're here today and you've accepted Christ already. Boy, your life is just not where it needs to be. You're not enjoying the Christian faith. You're not enjoying your walk with the Lord. There was a time that, man, you had the joy of God in your life. and You were so excited about Jesus. Something's happened. Well, maybe you just need to recommit your life to Christ. Rededicate your life to the Lord. Or maybe you're here and you're just not enjoying these riches. Maybe it's because you're trying to hoard everything up. Maybe it's because you haven't realized that the source of all your blessings is God. Not your job. Not your career. Not the stock market. Not your bank account. It's God. He said, I'm going to take care of you. Maybe you just need to turn loose of it. Give it to Him. Whatever your need is this morning, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and go to some of our leaders and they'll help you pray. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, there are folks making decisions right now in their mind and their hearts. They're thinking about their lives. Lord, you have blessed us abundantly. God, I just pray that right now that this time will be honoring unto you. That, that individual that needs to accept you as their Savior would do so right now. Open up their heart and allow you to come in and give their life to you. The one that's struggling to find joy, I pray, God, that you'd speak to their spirit right now. Father, you'd help them to see and know what it is exactly they need to do. God, thank you for the wonderful wealth that we have in Christ Jesus. We commit this time of invitation to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.